Welcome, Kevin, to the World XP Podcast. This is episode number 20. Uh, Kevin here is, a, is an old friend from when we were talking on the phone. I don't, I don't even know how long we've known I was thinking other. about it, too. I don't, yeah, <laughs> it's been so long that I don't even know where we met, but it's been we quite know each other time. For... I think probably what it has, has to have been maybe elementary school or maybe, maybe middle school. Um, but Kevin is a uh, video game developer now. He works for um, high-res studios and a specific branch. Uh, remind me of the branch. I work for uh, Evil Mojo, which is Evil kind of Mojo. one of the game teams. High-res studios is the, the umbrella, I guess you could say publisher. Sure, correct. So we're going to start with the hard questions. The okay. age-old age gamer question. Why didn't they fix that bug? All right. We'll jump right into it. All right. So why didn't they fix that bug? So uh, I guess I'll give a little bit of back, background into what I've done so far and kind of, you know, what I do right now. And then we can dive into to, uh, sure. to my, my opinions on that question. So um, like you said, my name is Kevin. Uh, I go by Nico online, N-E-C-O. Um, I am a game designer working on the game Paladins for Evil Mojo. Um, and I have previous experience working as quality assurance. Uh, so I have a little bit of insight into that kind of question from the quality assurance side and a little bit from the game design side. Um, so, so yeah, so we can tackle the, <laughs> tackle the hard question right away. <laughs> Why, how, how did that bug get through? Why didn't they catch it? I can't believe that went live. They should have delayed the game, all that stuff. Um, as I will probably frequently be saying uh, throughout the course of this episode, um, it is more complicated than people realize. And I'll kind of start off with um, the basic, like there's a lot of information that, that you wouldn't have unless you are on the other side of that question. And it's, you know, it's no fault of the people who, who are frustrated because it is frustrating to expect a certain thing from a product and have those expectations not be met. But there are oftentimes a, a lot of information that just, just people don't have. Um, so you know, I have to speak in the broadest terms because that, that question can apply to any number of things and the severity of any number of things varies. But why didn't they, fix, why didn't they catch the bug? It could be, I'll just list off a couple options. It could sure. be um, that they literally didn't have the manpower to do so. It could be they don't have enough um, QA or there were things that were deemed more important to test or their, their test plan wasn't comprehensive, um, which could be either a failure on QA's part or, or not even QA because literally every part of the game development cycle should be looking at what they do. So it's not like it's not QA's fault that they didn't catch the bug that programmers reduced. It's also the programmer's fault. It's also everyone who's looked at the game that kind of thing. Um, it could be that they did catch the bug um, at some point and the company or whoever, you know, is making decisions says essentially it is not worth it for us to fix that right now. Um, either because there, there is something else that's game breaking that needs to be fixed with the resources they have, or it's going to take so long and they have to meet this deadline. Like we have to get out before Christmas or, you know, we promised we were going to get this patch out. Um, it could be, it could be, you know, that they literally just missed it. That's, that, that does happen. Um, and it could be uh, that the nature of the issue is, is modified by um, other factors. So for instance, if there is something that doesn't happen in a public test environment, even with thousands of players, but may happen when 10,000 players log on at the same time, um, there's really realistically very small chance of actually catching that in a, in a, in a dev or, or, you know, like PT, public test environment. 
Sure. Um, so sometimes that'll happen and sometimes, you know, it'll manifest in different ways and people will be like, I can't believe they didn't catch that. This is, this happens every time I log in, but maybe it only happens every time you log in because there are thousands and thousands of other people also logging in. Um, so I guess those are kind of the baseline potential answers that come to my head immediately, but obviously things become nuanced. Yeah, for sure. So the example that, that is easy, easiest for me to describe anyways, and we talked about this the other day is, uh, using the example of FIFA and EA with because they're a huge company. So one of the things you mentioned, the sort of like the manpower and resources thing you would think would sort of go out the window with the company like them. Um, but that's not necessarily the case depending on what the issue is and depending on the game mode and, and, and other sorts of things like that. But what, so let's, let's say the, the developers are working on a new patch from day one and they're coding uh, into an existing game, um, they have to make sure that one, they don't break the rest of the game with something new, and two, that the new character, or in your case with Paladins, a new, the new champion, isn't so uh, overpowered or OP. Um, and so they have to create this nice sort of um, balance. Given your experience kind of in that sort of situation, how difficult is it to kind of keep that balance? And then how can you describe sort of how you go about that from the developer side? Sure. Um, so when we create new things, I'll talk about champions specifically, obviously, you know, there's different types of content, different types of systems. Um, but when we create new champions, part of what we want is to create something this is a mantra you'll hear, hear from a lot of different people, a lot of different companies. I think Blizzard is probably the most famous for using this, is um, easy to learn, difficult to master. Mm-hmm. Um, and I personally like to couple kind of that with uh, something that is unique. I mean, obviously, everyone will want something unique, but something that is unique to uh, a particular experience or a particular way that people interact with the game is what I like to put into something new. So if we're creating a new champion, for instance, we could talk about the most recently released champion, uh, Vora, who is a flank. Traditionally, that, that um, role would be played by a, a relatively uh, easy-to-kill character, but one who has the ability to get in, do a lot of damage, get maybe an important pick or two on the other team, and then either die for their sins or uh, be able to escape through some mechanism. Um, Vora it does something a little bit different. Uh, she is a flank, but, sh- but most of her damage is delivered uh, with a damage over time rather than flat damage. And that's a lot different than most people would traditionally feel for flanks and paladins. Um, and a lot of her kit is also based around her passive, which provides a lot of sustain. She has a passive that she, she's able to, to get stacks when she hits things with her in hand. And when she uses abilities, she consumes those stacks and is healed over time for each stack that is consumed which is also a flavor, right? Everything's a flavor. Um, so, you know, for Vora, we, I wanted to do something a little bit different and we're always striving to introduce something new with each champion that we do, because if it's just the same flavor of flank that we always have, then, you know, the game will get stale and it's the same exact, it's the same exact champion. Um, so what we needed to do for Vora is we needed to introduce this, this mechanism, this damage over time mechanism in a way that's not, um, as you said, not OP or not oppressive, but is still interesting to play and is still effective to some degree. Mm-hmm. There were multiple iterations with her. I'll talk specifically about the damage over time component. There are multiple iterations with her. Play, I played around with um, 
the difference in damage between the, the on hit, like the flat hit from hit, getting hit by a projectile versus how much damage was applied over time. Uh, I started off also increasing and decreasing the duration of the damage over, this, over time. So was this damage done over one second or like over three seconds? Mm-hmm. Um, we found that it was extremely unsatisfying no matter how much damage was in the dot. I'll, I'll, keep, I'll, I'll use dot as a, as, as, a, as a shorthand for damage over time. Okay. Um, no matter how much damage was done in the, in the dot, if the flat damage was non-existent or very small, like let's say, let's say they have a thousand health. If I hit them for 10 and then did 500 in the dot, it still wasn't as satisfying as having some amount of damage in the flat and then some amount in the dot. Um, mm. And that's, that's a combination of people's familiarity with, with the types of damage that flanks already do, which is generally, like I said, burst and the idea that, you know, I, I expect this, this hit to do something. And when it doesn't do something, it feels wrong. Yeah. A lot, of, a lot of times it's difficult for people to articulate that. It's just like, it just doesn't feel satisfying. It feels wrong. So we played around a lot with that. We found that longer damage over time effects didn't feel satisfying either, because even if you were doing more damage, it was like tick, 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 and they're walking away and it doesn't, like, I can't, I can't get the kill. They're, you know, they're getting healed or, or whatever. Um, so we, so we had to iterate on that both in like from my side, like I was playing around in the editor alone. And then we also have dev side play tests. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's even before we go to a public test server where people can give us feedback um, externally as well. But so for me, we, uh, we played around with those different numbers. We kind of landed on, this, on a place that was okay. You know, some builds, I would make her a little bit too strong just to see how that felt. Was it oppressive to play against? Make her a little bit too weak and see how that felt. Was it oppressive to play against? Was it fun to play? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of how we wiggle our way into a general balance state with, with, the idea, with the understanding that we already have general ideas for what is okay. Like a five-second stun feels like crap regardless of who does it. Yeah. <laughs> or f- like in that 1,000 HP average example, if they have 10,000 HP, that's going to feel oppressive regardless. So yeah, within sure. those kind of general generic bounds, you can play around with those numbers to find something that feels organic mm-hmm. um, and feels familiar while also introducing something new. And, yeah, and real qu- speaking on, on something new real quick, um, there, were, there have been, I'm really proud of how Vora released. I think she's fairly balanced as far as things go. But there were, and some people absolutely love her, and some people absolutely don't like her because they view her as recycled content from other champions, which is kind of interesting. Mm. We introduced, we have a projectile that is similar to another champion, so obviously it is, you know, the same as that champion. We have a modified version of, there's another champion who has um, a vine pole, so we modified that to more of a, an impulse swing. But people, of course, said, you literally just copied this other ability. And so kind of that dichotomy between can we introduce something that's familiar, mm-hmm. um, but not so familiar that people will rage that it's exactly the same as something else, even if it isn't. And can we introduce something that's new that, that um, feels different to play, but not outlandish, I guess. That's kind sure. of a long-winded answer for how do you balance things. But when creating new stuff, that's kind of the general process we go through. No, it's, it's a good one. And real quick, before we move on, I feel like Obviously, I think we'll be talking about Paladins quite a bit. Do you want to just go through a quick sort of summary of what the game is for those who don't know or aren't familiar with it? I think that's a great idea. So Paladins uh, is a, a hero shooter. Uh, it occupies the, the genre with um, probably the two other games you would most likely have heard of are Overwatch and Team Fortress 2 are also hero shooters. They're typically characterized by small-sided matches, you know, 
five to Team Fortress 2 up to nine competitively. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, with different characters or different champions or heroes or however you want to call them, they each have their own identity and they usually each have their own um, either statistics, abilities, which we call like an ability kit is a set of all of the abilities, mm-hmm. uh, or both. And so a champion might have a set HP and five abilities. And those abilities are, you know, they're the only ones who can use those abilities. And that becomes who that champion is. And then usually there's, you know, you buy for control. It's a control point or a um, payload or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that's the, that's the general gist of it. Uh, so, and they can either, they, they're usually either first or third person, so. Gotcha. Yeah. Sounds good. I think that's a pretty succinct and accurate summary. I think... For, from here on now, I think most people will understand. If you don't, Google it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but kind of, I, I want to touch on with the balance thing real quick. When you have that sort of code for people who aren't sort of familiar with uh, software development, when you're coding in into the game a new champion or a new ability or something like that, how delicate is it to make sure that that gets into the game properly without uh, breaking something else or keeping the the status quo of the rest of the game sort of at least recognizable to the player base? So like you said before, there's not people raging about, oh, you broke this or why did you not get this or et cetera, et cetera. That's a good question. Um, I'll preface this answer with a bit of a caveat that I don't do too much literal coding myself. I work with the programmers. I do mm-hmm. a little bit of scripting and a little bit of SQL, which is more database management. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am familiar and I work closely with the programmers. So I think, I think I can answer some of this question at least. Sure. Um, part, of, part of it is, ha- it is maintenance of code, which I think plagues a lot of software development in general. Um, Paladins in particular in its earlier stages um, was very much focused on getting to market and making sure that we were able to iterate and pump out content very quickly, which unfortunately leads to something else that is uh, sometimes commonplace and is a bit of a pitfall for software development. Um, The idea of spaghetti code or legacy code Mm -hmm. or any code that was built quickly without um, foresight for sustainability later um, can often lead to problems down the road if you expand or even touch those systems. Mm. Um, so for example, we have one champion Terminus, his ultimate allows him to come back from the dead. Essentially he dies. If he has his ult charge, he can press a button and he'll come back to life in an explosion. Um, that introduced a huge number of problems. Um, and, uh, uh, <laughs> because of the way that we, we work with the HP of the champions and the way that we, you know, um, he's already dead. How does it work with executes? How does it work with co- um, cauterize, which prevents healing? Mm-hmm. Like all that stuff. And every time we try to go back and, and tweak him, something else breaks with him. Because of the nature of, you know, code can be interconnected in such a way that, that there, uh, if you change something, especially, and, uh, and obviously, you know, the argument could be that good code maintenance means that you don't reference other things or that systems are mostly compartmentalized, but it can be more difficult than that, right? Like obviously pie in the sky, everything works separately, but Mm -hmm. based on a solid code base. But there are things if you change or you tweak that are linked to something else, either directly or through whatever 
software um, that you use to to do the game, for example, like the way that the game engine works. Mm -hmm. um, so if you if you touch that, then something else that is somehow linked to that also breaks or changes. Um, and so essentially, you just you're like you're building on an unstable foundation a lot of the time with the legacy code. Yeah, um, which is I think probably where most of that comes in. Uh, there are also instances, I'm sure, of whatever changes or fixes are made just being poorly implemented. And that could be they don't have enough time to do it properly. That could be they didn't even think about doing it a different way. They just like, well, yeah, I'm sure that'll work. And maybe it does work. But as you mentioned, it may then break something else. Mm -hmm. um, so I'd say those are probably the two big, big ones. So when, um, so when the developers sort of finish going through their initial sort of build out. Um, and then it goes to sort of the, the first round of testing or like the internal QA stuff. What, um, I, I feel like from, from our conversation earlier and from just my general understanding of how people think that the video game industry works, that being a QA is just, you get to play the video game all day. <laughs> um, I've heard that. <laughs> So can you sort of um, go through like the process of, okay, you get the build out, the first build out from, from the developers, uh, you test it obviously. So there's some of playing the game, but then sort of what goes into the test? What sort of things are you looking for? And how do you give that feedback back to the developers? Sure. Um, so we use, we use a, a system called Jira. First, I'll answer the last part first. We use a system called Jira to create mm -hmm. and track issues. So we call them, I, I mean, we can call, you call them Jiras or, or bugs or tickets or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, as far as the actual testing goes, and, and it ties into, you know, it ties into like software development si uh, cycles and, you know, the, the whole, the idea of agile development or scrum-based development sure. versus yeah. waterfall versus, you know, other types of, of production essentially, um, for software development, but, uh, okay. So, so we have, we have essentially a, a branch. We're, talk, we're going a little bit into like, um, version control, I guess we have, we have a main branch that is kind of ongoing and, and as, as things are done, whether it's a new champion, a new skin, a new whatever piece of content, um, that is submitted and integrated into the main branch. So in dev, if we have a stub out for a new champion, most of it will probably not be functional. And then as they do different devices, they'll plug them in and, and have them show up in the next build. Mm -hmm. um, testing a specific piece of content or a specific champion can be done in a variety of ways. We don't jump straight into play testing, for example. Um, the very first blockouts for a new champion or a new piece of content can be done uh, locally. Mm -hmm. So speaking from experience uh, in QA, if there's something new that's in, I can go and take a look at it on my own time and say, okay, very first look, um, what's broken, what's likely to break? Um, is it even functional at all? Like just basic stuff. Sure. We also take that time to plan ahead. We can create a test schedule mm -hmm. uh, based on the design documentation that we've been given. So if it's a new champion, the, the, the designer may say, hey, this is the general idea for these abilities. I will obviously pivot it as we need to, but I expect it to do this. 
I expect you know, approximately this much damage, approximately this much reload time. And as, as they get in, we're able to go and take a look and check them off and say, this is looking okay, this is not looking okay. If something is wrong with anything, any system, we'll go ahead and we'll create a ticket for it. Um, the biggest thing for us and something that a lot of people, you know, they, a lot of people report issues in the game, my textures are missing. Like, yes, that, that sucks. It's really actually, it's, it's, it can be really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but the biggest thing for us is making sure that we can reproduce the issue because the, the mm-hmm. easiest, the, easy, the, the, the more documentation we have about how to reproduce the issue, the easier it will be to find the breaking point. So if somebody gotcha. says my textures are missing, that could be any number of things. And while yes, it's bad that your textures are missing. If you say every time I change my world settings from high to medium, every single time my textures break, that makes it really easy for us to go in and do the exact same thing and say, okay, it's obviously something from switch, you know, we're able to reproduce it. It happens when you switch from there to there and our programmers or whoever takes care of it can say, okay, how do we fix this? Um, as far as like play testing goes, I have heard, it's funny that you mentioned that I have heard very much, oh, you work in games. That means, you know, you, you test games or you design games. That means you play games all day and get paid for it. Um, that would be nice, but no, not quite. <laughs> um, a lot of it goes into, we do have play tests. We have scheduled play tests. If we have a new champion coming, like, hey, they're using a model for, they're like they're using temp art and temp model and temp sounds, but let's get a play test going, see how she, she or he or, you know, whichever champion we're, we're coming up with um, feels with playing, you know, even in a stubbed out state, playing with the other champions. Mm-hmm. And that can be a targeted play test. Hey, we are testing this interaction. We are testing this change. We are testing this new champion. Um, we also occasionally have general play tests just to make sure like every, every few patch or, you know, every patch, every few patches, we want to make sure we run through all the champions, make sure they're still all selectable and not broken and everything like that. It's just trying to general sanity check. And then, and then, as I mentioned before, kind of the spot checking or the more individual testing can be done either in small teams, two or three QA members testing a specific system or specific QA members who are going off of the test plan that we have writing up any issues, sending them off to whichever team is most appropriate to check it. Um, hopefully those issues get fixed and then, you know, we get them back as QA and say, was the issue addressed? And do we think there are any other outliers that could arise from how they fix it? Sure. That makes sense. It's funny you mentioned uh, reproducing of, of bugs. I think in my old job, um, I was doing systems analyst work and a big part of it was test and evaluation of different uh, equipment for the military. And we would, when we would test the new stuff, um, reproducing some of those things was always the hardest, was always the hardest part because we would have, what we would do is called um, environmental testing. So we'd put it in a chamber and we'd run it through like high temperature, low temperature, wind, altitude, like all that, all those, all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you'd get something that would break and because we didn't have ample spares often enough because of budgets and other other things it was hard to find exactly what broke the thing because you'd leave it in the chamber for 24 hours at a super high temperature and you don't know when it broke you don't know where it broke you don't know exactly what part of it broke right just so when, it no longer works <laughs> exactly and so when you'd write the test report and uh, send it up the chain and be like, hey, it broke when we did this long test, but that's it. And so I'd imagine for you guys, there's probably some obscure bugs that are extremely hard to reproduce. 
Um, I think you mentioned one when we were talking last time. I think I it did. had to do with uh, turrets. I did. Um, and you want to go into that a little bit? I would love to. It's one of my favorite. <laughs> it's one of my favorite stories about my time as, as quality assurance. So at the time, I was working on Smite, which is not uh, my my like Evil Mojo's game. It's um, Titan Forge's game, which is another subsidiary or, or you know game studio within High Res. They do. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a MOBA, um, and other other um, games in the same genre include like uh, Dota, Defensive Agents, Ancients, and uh, League of Legends. Mm-hmm probably the, the two most popular in the genre. Um, and uh, so for, <laughs> for, this, for this issue, and part of what, what we as QA do, although it can, be, it can wear on you, is we interact with the community. Um, who, well, I'm sure that's fun. You know, uh, I guess the, you know, the way I would put it is that people who, who are passionate about the games they play can, can have that passion um, I'm going to say like leak through, I suppose, uh, in, in, in their interactions with the community and, and the game developers. <laughs> but uh, even regard, so that was the first thing I learned actually was how to deal with um, people online, essentially. I, they don't even have a QA team. How did they miss this? But uh, this, this issue in particular, we were getting reports that a Vulcan who puts down a turret, um, that his turret was invisible, completely invisible. And we couldn't figure it out because in every environment we went into, his turret was right there. It was visible. It was like there was no issues. And we tested multiple different ways. And we said, okay, well, you know, maybe this report, maybe something else is going on. We can't really, like, I don't have the time. I, don't, I can't spend two days testing this turret when we have other content that we, we have to put in the game. But we kept over time hearing different reports that, that his turret was invisible. His turret was invisible. It's really a problem. And at some point we're like, okay, so... <laughs> what do we have to do to figure out why his turret is invisible? And somebody mentioned that most of the reports seem to be from Spanish-speaking users, um, which we thought was really interesting mm-hmm. because why are English-speaking or German-speaking or French-speaking or whatever users not reporting the same issue? Um, so at that point, I, I was the one who actually ended up finding the issue, which was kind of cool. But at that point, we started looking at different things like, okay, so maybe it's something to do with Spanish or whatever. So I, I went through all the languages and I went, um, it, it, at the time I was trying to think what could it possibly be? So I decided I would go through all the languages on every map and at, at every level of the ability. There are like four or five levels of the ability. Does it show up? So I, I switched to, or I went, I went through all the languages actually, but it, you know, I switched to French, switched to German, like level one, drop the turret, level two, drop the turret, level three, drop the turret on every single map that we had. And as it turns out, um, on, on the joust map in Spanish and Portuguese only, at level one only, the turret was invisible. <laughs> so, so not at level two, not in French, not on any other map, but but that specific map, that specific two languages, and, and that specific level of the ability, the turret was invisible. And that was mind-blowing because, like, <laughs> you know, in my head, I'm thinking, like, how could that happen? But, of course, we've talked about how complicated and convoluted mm-hmm. these things can be. It could be any number of things. I believe it was a, an incorrect resource string in the Spanish and Portuguese language pack that was being imported on that map. And was and was causing uh, the texture to, to fail to load, mm. um, which is just absolutely wild to me. But so we ended up finding that issue. We fixed it, 
and didn't you know didn't get any thank yous because you know like <laughs> that's the way it should be like, yeah it should have happened in the first place. place um but uh i think i think that's my favorite bug so far it's just the the just like all, how how specific is that right yeah that's it, it kind of just goes to show how like complex the coding actually is that it could break just that one little thing um and it's also one of the reasons why uh why didn't they catch that? It's because who would have caught that? It's like you didn't, I think probably when you're going through the testing, it's like you don't have the time to do that. I, I think probably. Is that I mean, accurate? Yeah, that's very accurate. I mean, there are only so many things that we can test in a certain amount of time. So, you know, at the time I did go through every language in the game, I would launch the game in every language. I would play a bot, you know, like a practice match in the language. Um, but I don't have time to go through. There, there are over a hundred and twenty here gods at this point in Smite. I don't have time to go through every rank of every ability of a hundred and twenty mm. gods on every map in every language. Yeah, that's <laughs> um, a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. It goes back to sort of like the the resources and the manpower that you were mentioning earlier. But that's it's it's. Hmm. I think when there was a stat that you mentioned, I think when we were talking the other day that like there's more gameplay hours in the first day of game release than there will be done like for all of testing. On on any on any semi-popular game, as soon as it's released, like within the first day, like I said, there will be more man hours of gameplay interacting with the code and the and the game than could possibly well, not could possibly, but then is is that then is feasible for any company to do within the development cycle, just yeah. because of the nature of so many eyes and so many different interactions um, versus the size of the dev team and the testing team. And, and that's where you, you know, you often hear those day one bugs of like, how couldn't they catch this? Well, you know, it happens, it happens specifically because there were, you know, 50,000 people who were doing the same exact thing and it broke in a very specific set of circumstances kind of thing. Yeah. There was, um, my old roommate in college in GTA four or five on one, one specific part of the map, you could swim into the water and go under like a bridge or something like that. But as soon as you went under it, you would, you would pop up like under the, the ground and you mm -hmm. could just run under the ground and go shoot people from below. And they didn't, they couldn't see. Like they didn't know where it was coming from and you could just do that. And it was only, you had to go on like this one specific part of the bridge and like you, you probably know those people that just look for those things to, mm -hmm. to mess with, like whether it's like shortcuts or little glitches here and there. I remember one time when, when I was little, I was playing Mario Kart with my, with my little brother. We were on Rainbow Road and he fell off at some, some point during the race and it put him a lap ahead in first place he went from last <laughs> to first and we tried for weeks to find that spot where he fell off and we couldn't find it <laughs> for for you know not only for like the gameplay content stuff but also for the bug stuff i have something like shadow play running most times at this point so that if something wild happens it can be like all right go back clip that kind of thing because that like breaking the game intentionally or accidentally i think is really interesting and really fun yeah although it was gamecube so couldn't really do shadow play that's like yeah that. that's but, true <laughs> <laughs> but even so it's just like there's all sorts of people that like like that that'll just try for hours and hours and hours to find random mm -hmm. little things that like 
you guys in, in the testing world or well, when you were in QA, well, you still do testing now, I think, right? I mean, I look at all of the stuff that yeah. I put in myself. Yeah. But like the, the time that it would take you to find all those little things is just not feasible. It, like if you were working on Mario Kart, it would not be feasible for you to spend three weeks to find that one spot that like in all the, in all the times that we played, like we played a lot and we only found that spot one time right by accident now imagine spend and, and then also just even think about spending even if even if your boss told you hey i need you to do this mm-hmm. for a month can you imagine spending a month for for you know nine to five every single weekday just running off the map like from here and then here and then here and then here like horrible. it would be you would lose track you'd lose track of where you did it and like it could have even become like been oh it's based on you were on the second lap instead of the first lap yep. or like some random wacky thing yep. also it's wild that it that sort of issue goes all the way back to like gamecube which wasn't even an online platform you'd think the games would probably be simpler um simple doesn't necessarily mean sure you know, less complicated. Well, I mean, I guess technically it means less complicated, <laughs> but sample doesn't necessarily foolproof it, you know? No, for no, definitely not. Well, yeah, dude, I couldn't imagine boss being like, hey, I need you to play Rainbow Road every day for a month. It's probably, his boss would probably be like, why are you wasting this manpower on, on that? Yep. Because at the end of the day, they have to run the business and they have to generate a profit. And so something is not if there's only some small portion of the community of that gaming community that is experiencing that, like for example, the, the turret thing in another game, like if something like that happened in FIFA where like only one small section of the user base was experiencing this one thing, they'd be like, yeah, we're working on it. And it wouldn't get fixed for like, who knows how long mm-hmm. <laughs> probably, probably wouldn't get fixed until, close to when the next game was released, but then they would probably be like, now we're working on the next game, so we're still not going to fix it. And then that's very frustrating as a consumer. Definitely. Uh, which I'm sure you've experienced being in the, the community, interacting with the community, which I don't envy that at all. I've seen horrible things tweeted at, at the EA guys. I've seen horrible things said in the comments sections and, and all sorts. So I don't really, I couldn't really imagine what it would be like to be on the receiving end of all that for more than like two days to be honest but it uh it was one of the first things i had to learn or i was going to like go insane was mm-hmm. how to deal with people who are passionately expressing opinions within with with inf- with without the information they need to make an informed statement on it mm-hmm. um and a lot of it is that we even as names on the internet they can yell at the name because it represents the company and their frustration without realizing that that person is a person. Um, I've seen some of the worst things I've ever seen said to people said online or to developers, not even necessarily just us, but just in general, Mm -hmm. um, you know, calling for people's jobs, like whoever, whoever, whoever designed this, whoever didn't catch this, whoever broke this deserves to be fired. They're obviously bad at their job. Um, We even at some point had, uh, a couple of police officers outside our studio because somebody had called threatening to come and do physical harm to our devs. Um, nothing came of it, but no. like that kind of thing happens. And it's super, fr- it's, it's, it's not even, it's, it's beyond frustrating. It's super disheartening because at the, at the core of it, most of, I know for a fact that my team 
and I think it's true for most teams, want to do right by their work and by their community. So for us to, to like be shiny and bright and like put yourselves out there, like, yeah. yes, I did this thing. Aren't you excited? It's going to be fun. And they're like, yeah, it's kind of cool, but uh, this broke and that broke and that sucks. And I hate that. And um, it can beat you down, but you, you learn mm-hmm. to, you learn to pick the things that are, you know, if somebody, for me, at least personally, if somebody comes up to me and says, Hey, this champion you created, I love them. So this, this aspect is so cool. That'll, that'll shield me from 50, like, Oh my God, this is the dumbest champ ever from, from other people. So. Yeah. I feel, I feel sort of the same way about the podcast. Not that I get any hate for this, but just like if one person texts me and is like, Oh, like I learned something from this clip or this episode. I'm like, cool. That, that's that's what you do it that's for. What it's for yeah yeah that's what you're it for so um and that was kind of the the whole premise in the first place was the when the guys in the first episode sammy and izzy were like hey man i think people would really like your ideas i was like we'll see let's do it yeah <laughs> and so here we are 20 episodes later but yeah dude like how how long did it take for you to sort of get a handle on that, that sort of interaction? And then two, how has it helped you in like the rest of your life, not like offline? Mm. Um, so it took me at least a couple months to really kind of nail it down. I would get, I would get super disheartened when there was something that I saw as a failure that was then like hounded on by the community mm-hmm. um like how could you miss this bug oh maybe i maybe i did miss this bug could i could i have caught it could i have done better like that kind of thing so it took me a couple months and i still sometimes struggle like i have good weeks and bad weeks where you know i i'll go on the comments which you, you really shouldn't do no go, go to reddit <laughs> or go on the comments in the youtube video and they're all like this that or the other and i'm like well darn maybe i am maybe i am <laughs> trash <laughs> um never but, uh, go to the comment sections yeah, yeah for real um but for the most part i I've, I've learned to approach it much more elegantly um to the second part of your question um which i just forgot but we, we just talked about it it was i'm uh, sorry could you refresh me uh it was just sort of like have you noticed a change in how you mm. deal with life outside of the gaming sort of world having dealt with these sorts of interactions before. Yes. Yes. It's actually been, and this kind of links to a game design principle as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so part, and a very, very important part of being a game designer is giving, but also learning how to receive and, and parse feedback. Mm-hmm. Most people and through no fault of their own do not give feedback. Well, um, there is a lot of, it is, it is absolutely. There is a lot of, I don't, I hate this. Mm-hmm. Um, this feels wrong. Um, this is OP. This talent is crap. Stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And what you as a designer need to learn to do is to ask follow-up questions as applicable if they're not going to bite your head off, right? Mm-hmm. If it's an offhand comment, you, you have to realize that they're not attacking you personally. Like you're, it's not your personal work. They're like you, Kevin, did bad work it's it's a knee-jerk reaction to i don't like this aspect of the game and i didn't realize that you know somebody had put effort into this kind of thing so you need to you need to be able to ask those follow-up questions Mm -hmm. and really kind of dig into why and what they're thinking 
So this talent or, you know, this champion is crap or this ability, let's, let's go with like this ability sucks. I, okay. I'll never use it. Uh, it could be any number of things, right? It could be, they don't think it does enough damage. It puts them, it, it, it doesn't feel satisfying to use. Mm -hmm. uh, and then some people, you know, it, it feels, it feels something's wrong. I, don't, I can't put a name on it. Something's wrong. It could be, uh, you don't have any tactile feedback. So if you're using a game, uh, a controller, for example, mm -hmm. um, if you fire and there's no like rumble, Mm -hmm. something is wrong but they can't say oh there's no rumble it's just something's wrong it doesn't feel right yeah um, so being able to follow up on that and to parse information from that kind of feedback is extremely important and i and i and i i kind of hearken that to another life skill that i picked up from having worked in a grocery store actually mm -hmm. or it's the same thing with retail but it wasn't until i worked in a grocery store where you work in retail that you learn in my opinion to like feel a little bit of empathy for the people who have been in that position. Yeah. So the idea, so being yelled at on the internet, I, I wasn't in the habit of yelling at people on the internet beforehand, but it's given me a greater understanding of how to approach things that I'm passionate about. Mm -hmm. If I'm frustrated about something, it's even more, after, you know, after having had these experiences, it's even more important for me to analyze my frustrations to say, this is why I feel frustrated. Um, how, what's the most appropriate best way to either deal with that frustration or to give the feedback as appropriate uh, rather than going on Twitter and saying like your game's trash, your servers are down. Um, not, you know, that's all just, caps. that's the, exactly <laughs> all caps. Like, ah, um, that's just an example. But I would say definitely that having dealt with people um, being aggravated or frustrated towards the dev team or me has helped kind of crystallize that Zen, um, how I approach feedback as a game designer and how I approach my own feelings when I, when I feel frustrated. That's good, man. That's good. It's a, it's a lot of, you could also say the same thing for being, for working in like as a waiter or a waitress, mm -hmm. the same sorts of Oh, you forgot my ranch. Right. <laughs> like, it's like, you're it's not going to die. Like, I'll go yeah. get your ranch. Like, <laughs> yeah, <it's, laughs> calm down. It's, the same, it's, it's almost the same sort of principles. Like, you missed this bug. You forgot my one thing. Um, yeah, and like, like you said, I know tons of people that, like, after working in blank insert industry, service industry with where you interact with lots of people, now are like, oh, I didn't realize blank right. or I didn't realize this or that. And oftentimes they come out of it with sort of um, similar experiences to, to you where you're like, oh, it helped me in my day-to-day -day life as well. And that's really cool. It's like a, it's a cool sort of growth pattern, especially once you realize it as like you, the individual, you realize it, you kind of really like, you kind of feel like you got somewhere. Um, it's a it's a learned skill to to develop that empathy and recognize that other people and their time and their their you know their thoughts have value. You don't need to be best buddies with everyone, but sure. it doesn't it doesn't take a lot of energy to not be a dick. Yeah, them, you know <laughs> exactly. Like <laughs> to put it simply, um, so does that help with um, like the feedback that you guys give each other on the dev team? Is it you guys try and all make it like as constructive as possible? I try to gently remind team members when they do give feedback that is not given as, cons as constructively as possible that there are better or different ways to do it. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but I also understand, like I said before, that if they give negative knee-jerk feedback, it's not a personal attack. It's literally just their opinion on a certain thing. Another thing that we learn in design very quickly, at least from my experience, is that you need to be, I think the phrase we use is you need to be ready to kill your children. Um, so you can put a lot of effort into like, this is a fantastic game design document. This is the best thing I've ever designed. There's no way people don't like this. And when we go and we talk with the rest of the design team or the rest of the team and they say, I don't know, it doesn't seem fun. I don't think I'm going to like it. You need to be ready to say, okay, um, can I scavenge anything from this? If not, uh, it's dead. And we move on to the next thing. Yeah. And that can be difficult for a lot of people because when you put so much time into, into something, um, it's difficult to kill it. Oh, for sure. But that kind of goes hand in hand with that feedback thing. So if somebody mm-hmm. gives me feedback, you know, I, I really appreciate when they say, I felt very strong in this instance. Um, I think it was because um, of all the damage that I was doing with this ability. I think it, it you know, it, it feels a little bit stronger than I would than I would have thought is an example of decent feedback. Yeah. I felt, you know, and I, and this is why I think why. Um, versus I think you need to reduce the damage actually. So that's the, <laughs> that's, that's, one of, that's the other thing. That's one of my favorites is um, the first inclination is for people to give me what I should do to fix it mm-hmm. in their, in their eyes, which mm-hmm. is not particularly useful. It can be useful to say, Hey, I think maybe we can take a look at this aspect of this ability, mm-hmm. but to say this ability is too strong just reduce the damage. That's all you need to do. And it's fixed. Mm-hmm. Um, in different flavors of that happens all the time. I'm sure. And people think it's more constructive as well than, than not. Well, it is more constructive than just being like, oh, this thing sucks. But at the same time, without them understanding how complex the code actually is, it doesn't really help you too, too much other than it gives you a more specific sort of gripe that they have with the game. Right. And I will never say that people's opinions are, are invalid or, or unworthy of being heard sure. or, or say that my experience as a game designer like inherently makes what I say superior to other people. Cause that's not true. Mm-hmm. I just happen to have a certain skill set that allows me to approach things differently. Um, but it, but it can be difficult to, it can be difficult for some people. I think um, when they have, they, they are firmly set, like this is, this is the thing they have to do like everything would be solved if they just did this yeah and have that be told to somebody and then have to be told that something prevents that from happening or that they disagree and are not going to be doing that it's like well if i were just in charge we would just do this (laughs) and it would be fixed oh yeah happens at work often like like you said the like the killing the children thing happened in my job often as well it was another skill that i had to learn would work for x number of hours on such and such document and uh, we're not actually going to go that way we're going to go a different direction what <laughs> all this time wasted yeah but i could reality, have been doing you know, other things but in, but then like you take a step back and you're like well at least i learned how to write blank document and then yep. like that's the thing you have to take out of it because if you don't take that thing out of it you're going to go crazy mm-hmm. um it's well put yeah but you mentioned um reducing damage and so i want to touch on sort of the how do you so going back to to fifa there's like obviously the different players have different stats and then in like uh you know the game age of empires 2 i do 
Yeah. So fantastic RTS. That's, that's one of my favorite games probably of all time. Um, and so obviously the, the characters or the units have different uh, hit points and then they do different like number like of damage. Right. And then the different bonuses you can get like a plus one on uh, archer damage with such and such bonus. How how simple is it? And I and I know we talked um, when we were talking the other day. Your champions don't really have the, the sort of number um, bonus, but how would you go about sort of adjusting the damage like within in the back end? You say, okay, well this thing does too much damage, so we need to tweak blank. Is it better to tweak the damage, or is it better to up the armor on the other guy? Like, how do you sort of go about doing that? Um, so that, that can be a very complicated process, and that's part of what we do as a team, a design team, is, is try to determine the best way or the most elegant way to go about something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the simplest answer would be, if we feel something is too strong, then we reduce the damage number. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is the simplest answer, but I would argue that it is often not the best answer. But it is also the type of type of answer that we often get from those people I was I was discussing before. Mm-hmm. Just reduce the damage. That's all you need to do. Um, the way that we try to look at it is in the same way that we try to gather and give feedback. What do we think is potentially the issue here? Is it that this specific champion is doing too much damage? Is it that in a certain matchup with another champion, the other champion is taking too much damage? Mm-hmm. Um, is this ability too strong when viewed in conjunction with the rest of their kit? Is it too strong alone? Um, there, if, are there ways that we can address the issue that we think we see without changing a number, for instance, or, or without changing something as as simple? Although simple doesn't mean it, not impactful, just simple right. as damage. For instance, we recently changed one of our snipers to have his sniper rifle fire we increased the 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 post fire on his sniper rifle which means that there was more there's more time after a shot before he can shoot again Mm -hmm. and we decided to go that way um because we felt that he was he was able to utilize his sniper rifle too quick essentially too quickly he was shooting too quickly Mm -hmm. so rather than reduce his damage or rather than like reduce the um, you know, some other aspect of the weapon, we decided to change it so that instead of nerfing the damage itself, because part of the player fantasy as a sniper is that high damage, single shot, one shot, one kill vibe, yeah. um, just put those shots out less frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, so trying to determine where we think the problem is and potential solutions that are addressing the problem without taking away from the fun of the game is a huge part of what we do for something like that. I think Age of Empires does a really good job, given given that the game is as, as old as it is. I think it's what twenty one years old now, of balancing those different sorts of solutions, like you were talking about. Um, like I remember, in one patch, they would reduce the rate of uh, I think the English longbows. They would reduce the rate of fire for them instead of making right. them minus one damage. They would reduce the rate of fire just a little bit, and that would sort of balance it out because they have to balance it out with their civilization, but also all the other civilizations in the game. And then as they added more and more, they had to make them unique enough that people would want to use them and they weren't just copycats, like you mentioned earlier, but also that they were balanced enough in the game. And I think in the um, the definitive edition that they released, what, a year ago maybe, the remastered one, I don't think there is 
a every civilization is strong on a different map and that is something to me that's extraordinary because you always have and in, in almost every game i've ever played you always have this civilization is better than the other ones pretty much regardless of the map and this one is worse than the other ones like the saracens used to be horrible but then when they remastered it they upped the hit points of their camels the special units and upped the rate of like, it was like the throwing axe camels mm. and they upped the rate of fire just a little bit and like all of a sudden they were usable and they didn't just get mowed down by whoever so what you just said touches on i think three i had three ideas as you were talking go for it um one that i you know i love how you talk about the different aspects of upgrades right and they do different things so for any for let's take those those, those camels for instance increasing their hp means that they're tankier Increasing their movement speed, which may, would, would mean that they're also tankier, but in a different way. They're more evasive. Increasing their rate of fire increases the damage. Increases, increasing the damage increases the damage. Increases like armor pen, if that were a thing, increases the damage. That, like, mm-hmm. Or bonus, bonus damage against a certain type of unit is a more specific type of that. So there's so, really there so, so many types of, of ways to approach balance that that is kind of the, you know, how, how you do that. Um, I love that you said that the there's a there's a civilization that's strong on 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 each map Mm -hmm. because that touches i think on something that's that's rather rather fun rather important about the idea of balance people often say that you know a balanced game is a perfect game or whatever you know that i I just want the game to be balanced i just want it to be balanced um but i think there's a, a there's it's it's a really healthy thing for for certain circumstances to benefit certain certain things so certain champions certain civilizations mm-hmm. certain units you know even something as simple as like pikemen counter horses and archers mm-hmm. counter pikemen and so you know horses yeah. counter archers like that idea that there are there are there are things that are more effective in certain circumstances like builds up the potential for different interesting unique interactions between different gameplay systems um and the third thought i had was that um Part of part of a live service game in particular, but balance in general is is encouraging new and different things, and that could be through a variety of ways. It could be nerfing or buffing. It could be introducing new things. But like a a balanced game that has no changes ever will become stale. Mm-hmm. Um, if changes are made, oftentimes, oftentimes, especially a live service game, if if changes are made that allow new and different ways to play the game while still remaining, you know, within that variance that people think is balanced, I think mm-hmm. that's really the, the way that, you know, that we can go about it. And to hear that, you know, they buff or nerf certain civilizations or certain units to, to provide, you know, in certain cir- sets of circumstances, they're strong or they're weak. They change that in different ways, but it allows certain things to shine in certain places. And then that's where like the skill comes in is mm-hmm. being able to manipulate those sets of circumstances in a way that that works um, for you. I think that's, that's really the, exactly. you know, a fun part of, of the game. Exactly. It's, it's one of, it's like almost like the rock, paper, scissors scenario that you mentioned with the archers, the pikemen and the, the horses, the cavalry. That's basically what it is, but you have to know when to use those different things to your advantage. One of the other, one of the other things that they do that's really cool is you're talking about the easy to learn, hard to master concept. Age of Empires is a very good example of that because there are certain civilizations where if you just make their unique unit and you're playing against somebody that doesn't know how to play, you'll you'll kill them. But 
It was me on the Teutons. Yeah, exactly. Those, <laughs> Let's get the Knights. Exactly. They're so tanky and they're so hard to kill. But if you have a fast, mobile, like the Mongols, for example, with the, the, the cavalry archers, and you can just shoot and run and shoot and run. And then the Knights that you're talking about will never get to them. Right. They're too slow. If you're exactly. And so that's, that's the balance of that unit that they're slow. And then another thing that they do, they have like, they'll have like fishing bonuses for different like civilizations on water maps. Uh, some like the Vikings are better on water than they are on land, but they're not, they're not bad enough on land that they're unusable. And so when you go into these tournaments um, where like these pro guys play, you'll see all sorts of variations of strategies and styles and people using different civilizations and trying different things. And some civilizations advance through the ages faster, but once like, once they get to the Imperial age, they're not as strong and some advance slower, but once they get to the Imperial age, they're stronger. And so it's like, can you get to the Imperial age before the other one? And then it's a whole thing. It's really interesting to me um, to, to like watch those guys play cause they're so good and they like know they can, they've got the mastery down and it's really cool to see them manipulate all the different balancing aspects and how they kind of interact, but also how well they balanced it out because there's not one, like they use the, they use the advantages like almost to perfection, but they're countered by other advantages that are also being used to perfection. And it's so cool to watch those matches happen like whether they're streamed or on youtube or, or whatever i love talking about different layers of, of skill I've, I've talked about it uh, multiple times to my friends about team fortress 2 sniping mm-hmm. for instance but but the idea kind of to your point that once you have a basic understanding of how the game works then then you unlock the like how best to use certain things mm-hmm. and then it's like i know how best to use certain things now i have to use those certain things when i know the other person also knows how to use their things properly mm-hmm. this whole mind it could be anything a whole mind game the idea of as you mentioned the, the viking centric maps like maybe one team okay this is a viking map are they going to play vikings does that mean that i can pick something that i know counters vikings specifically for this instance what if they don't play Vikings because they know that I know they're playing Vikings? Like exactly. all this, all this kind of thing is is the layer of interaction, especially with multiplayer, but games in general, the layer of interaction that is above game knowledge and becomes I'm going to use the term meta, but it's kind of an overused term. Becomes mm-hmm. the meta knowledge for a game meta that being, I think is like meta being above. Uh, for for those who don't know, was it like most most efficient tactic available? For those who don't know, that is that is. That is one definition. The way I use it also is um, meta in the sense of like um, an ag- a- a- addressing a general aggregate body of knowledge. Mm, okay. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Got you. Um, the other aspect is the uh, like when those pros in Age of Empires go into team games and they pick certain civilizations to counter like to balance each other out but to mm-hmm. also counter the other team and like why they pick them and how they pick them it's just yeah can i crazy. can i pick a super defensive civilization build walls around my teammate and allow him to never build military just farm resources so we win exactly yeah. exactly like that that's really cool mm-hmm. and then they have to make sure that they actually get over to protect him fast enough because if the other guy picks like a cavalry archer civilization and he can go raid them then it's not going to work so all this balance and stuff and some of some like we've been we've been down this rabbit hole for a little while but 
it's really cool to see to see the balance. And I wish like FIFA is the game that I'm kind of most into now. I wish they would do that. They there's like a handful of ways that is way more likely to score than other ways. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of it gets it gets frustrating when you get up to like what's what's interesting with FIFA is once you get up to like the super high level you play against everyone plays the same way and they just try and get the goals that are more likely to go in. But if you're like one level below that, then people just kind of play just for fun. And so I try and stay in like that level below that because going up to the, the next one where everyone just plays the same way is, is it gets boring. Honestly. I, uh, I am really glad you said that too, because that I just had another thought. This is something that I, I will, you know, evangelize. Um, I, I, there are, <laughs> I, I had I've had a couple people now who are just adamantly, adamantly believe in I've I, I'm starting to dislike this term, in in the illusion of choice, and they will they will use that term, with respect to their belief that there is a proper way to do something. So to your point, the idea that at the highest levels there is only one way to play because mm-hmm. it is the most in your in, in with your definition yeah, the yeah. most effective tactic available that yeah. is meta is to play that way, and if you aren't playing that way, um, you are throwing or you suck or you, you are ignorant. Like there's only like this is the way that you have to play, mm-hmm. and they, they you know I've I've heard that term thrown around the illusion of choice because they're saying well yeah you can play another way but you really can't because you want to win. Yeah. Um, and I think that I'm not disparaging that belief because that's their, their, you know, their belief about you know, their relationship with the video game. Mm-hmm. But, you know, at its core, in my opinion, games need to be fun. Mm-hmm. And if I want to do something that's not the most effective tactic available, but I have fun with it, that is entirely valid. Oh, and it's not, sure. it's not an illusion of choice. That is, me interacting with the game in a way that I find fun and it's no less valid than, than, you know, the, the meta tactic. And, you know, so there's, there is an argument that at the highest levels you want to use the most effective tactic to get the wins. Mm-hmm. But even then I think that falls through. Like if, if you can be effective with something that's not precisely what everyone else is doing, mm-hmm. I don't think you should be flamed for that. No, definitely not. Um, so, 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 so trying to balance like, you know, the idea that the, you know, the top level players want, you know, there is only one way to play versus, you know, there are all these different ways to play that are fun is something that's really interesting and something that I love hearing about from different people. Mm-hmm. Cause yeah, some people just say like, I just do whatever. Like I do this. It's fun. Yeah. I never win, but it's fun. You know, like yeah. that's, that's okay. In my opinion. I think uh, esports has kind of made that sort of the illusion of choice kind of it's made it more prevalent when you watch like when you watch an esport and they all play the same way you're like well you can only play that way if you want to win it's like like you said it's like if i'm having fun who cares like Mm -hmm. i just want to try out this new player or this new champion or this new civilization and if you lose with them a gazillion times in a row then it might not be fun but like the first couple times like you're trying different things and like that's at the end of the day like you said game like the games are there for entertainment for you to have fun so it's a weird thing. It's just, it's been a big shift, <clears throat> I think, in the gaming sort of industry. And I was talking with, um, with Haber uh, in an earlier episode, I think it was 16, about that. Uh, he's a big FIFA, FIFA guy. And he was kind of, we were discussing that a little bit. But 
Um, I want to jump back for you slightly uh, and get sort of how you got to where you are. So when um, you were at Georgia Tech, correct, and you were doing, I want to say, what, systems engineering? Is that, is that yes. accurate? Yes. Yep. I, I graduated from Georgia Tech. Um, and I started as an industrial and systems engineering major. Mm -hmm. And I found myself um, experiencing certain things that were making me unhappy. I was having, I, so I, um, I, <laughs> I guess this is going to sound a little conceited. I don't really like talking myself up, mm -hmm. but for most of my life, I've, I've done fairly well in school. I've, I've, Oh, for sure. You, you killed it in high school. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, you know, like, oh, you're, you're smart or, oh, like, oh yeah, A's are easy, whatever. Um, and I was, I had, I, I, I had, I was a perfectionist to, to the point of, 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 of detriment. Mm -hmm. if, if I didn't do it perfectly, I had failed. And the way that I measured my self-worth was in success, uh, specifically academic success. Mm -hmm. So having devoted everything about myself through like midway to the end of high school to doing well in school, mm -hmm. that was wearying. That's it's tiring. I, like, yeah. So near the end of high school, going into college, I found myself like, why am I even bothering? I'm, I care so much about this and it sucks. Mm -hmm. um, so it became a little bit more difficult for me to approach, to approach what I needed to do to succeed academically. Sure. Um, I love systems. Everything's a system. Almost everything's a system. A lot of people don't realize that even like a fork, there was, a, you know, is, a, is a, a system of a kind. It was designed in a certain way. It is used a certain way, the way you interact with it. So I really love that idea. So I definitely, you know, Georgia Tech has the best or one of the best um, system engineering programs in the country has for over a decade. Um, so I was really excited to get in. Um, and then I found myself not enjoying it. Uh, it was a lot of math. I, I used to love math. I had a teacher in high school who... Mr. White? <laughs> at AOS, actually. Oh, okay. Um, who uh, um, kind of dampened that a little bit made me feel dumb for not knowing something when I went oh, up to the board. I, I thought you were going to say that a teacher that made you like it. No, no other way. Mr. White, made, way, Mr. White to, made me like it. Not I heard, I've not, heard I, you know, I've heard good things about Mr. White. Yeah. I've never been in his class, but. Not here to disparage his name at all. Anyways. Um, <laughs> anyways. Going. So I started, I started not liking as much and there was a lot of math in the ISYE program. It was, it was very much, um, it was a little bit too much supply chain and units. And I love the idea of efficiency, but I wasn't super interested in industrial efficiency or supply chain efficiency. Mm -hmm. um, so I, that coupled with this kind of, I guess I would call it burnout is that perfectionism turned to like, why am I, why do I put so much of my self-worth into this thing? It's taking so much energy. Um, I, I knew that I needed to make a change. Mm -hmm. I needed to find something I was more passionate about because, and, and since then, since college, I've promised myself that if there's any way that I can help it, I will pursue things that I care about and that make me happy. Uh, doesn't, I don't need to be happy every single day in my life, but if I know I'm in a position where I don't enjoy what I'm doing, then I, uh, I need to consciously make a change because sure. I refuse to live the way that I lived 
mentally uh, at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so to that end, I knew I had always been, I had always been passionate about systems. I lo- I had always loved video games, not only like playing them, but also how they're made and how people play them and how people interact with them. And the idea of like what information is presented, you know, on, on the HUD, for example, what, you know, and how people interact with that information. Mm-hmm. So I, I ended up switching majors and I ultimately ended up graduating with a, a, uh, with a degree in a BS in literature, media and communications with a focus in media and interaction design. And most people, most people would go into graphic design or UI UX, uh, user interface, user experience or um, app development, stuff like that. I took mm-hmm. as many classes as I could, excuse me, <clears throat> relating to game development and game design because I knew that I wanted to create something that gave other people the same feeling that I got when I played something and thought, wow, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Like, whoa, did you see the way that that interacted with that other thing? Like, I want to create that. Um, so, so I, so that's what I, that's what I ended up doing. I made that switch. Um, it helped a little bit. It was still difficult for me to, for me, it was, it was especially difficult to sleep. I, I, I had difficult falling asleep because I didn't want to, wake up the next morning, not, not in a living and unliving way, but in a, as soon as you fall asleep, it's the morning and you have to deal with that day and everything that's happening. Right. Yeah. Um, so it was still a little bit difficult to do that, but I'm very proud that I found something that I was passionate about. Um, for, for high res in particular, I did not have the intention of, of working for high res out of college at the time, but I knew that they were local and I was the founding one of the founding members and the founding president of Smite Club at Georgia Tech, which was one of the first collegiate groups um, linked to high-res studios and Smite, which is, uh, as we mentioned earlier, which is their MOBA. Mm-hmm. And through that, I was able to get in ta- contact with the company to coordinate um, club activities. So we, we came and helped volunteer at the, the Xbox launch for Smite, for instance. There was a local mall that had this set up. We were there helping. Um, and it was through that that I learned that they had an internship program. So I applied to the internship program and was accepted as a QA analyst intern. Um, and then did that for a summer. And then I had one semester left, but they had given me an offer for full-time after that last semester. And without having intentionally, like I, I didn't intend to use the club to get into iRes, <laughs> um, but it was convenient that I was able to learn about the opportunities they had and then do well enough in the internship that I was uh, was able to to join the company. That's awesome. That's a, that's a, that's a really cool byproduct of something that you were passionate about kind of paying out in, in the end. Um, and here you are now you are a, uh, <laughs> a game, what would you say? Game designer or game developer? Game designer. I, I think, uh, and that's actually something else that's interesting. So the idea of game developer versus non-game developer mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people, uh, there's a bit of a divide. Mm-hmm. Some people will adamantly say that game developer is only, is a term only used for those in the technical side, only mm-hmm. the programmers or the technical artists or, you know, those are game developers. Um, whereas my, my viewpoint is that anyone who contributes to, to the success or health of a game is a game developer. That includes marketing, that includes community management, that includes myself, game designers versus mm-hmm. programmers versus artists. They're all game developers in my eyes. So, but my title is game designer. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do a lot of different things. There, in, in other companies, especially larger companies, there may be like an AI designer or a quest designer who only do a specific subset of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do happen to be kind of a, 
I wear many hats within the, you know, the idea of design. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, game designer and developer. <laughs> Do you enjoy um, having your uh, wearing multiple hats and kind of getting to, to touch a bunch of different things? It is one of the most fun aspects of my position. Uh, another thing in college that I learned about myself is that I need new and different and engaging. I need to, to feel mentally simulated. Mm-hmm. And so part of that for me is like, yeah, maybe I need to spend a couple of days hooking up content, which is a little repetitive, um, mm-hmm. but it's, it's still something different. And the next, the next day, one of my favorite aspects is, is writing um, voice packs. I will write voice packs for the skins that have voice lines. I will send out audition notes and receive auditions from voice actors, like legitimate paid voice actors. I will select mm-hmm. the one I think is most appropriate for the role. And then I'll direct them in a session where they say the things that I wrote and that becomes the personality of the, of the skin. Um, that's so that's, awesome. that's fantastic, right? That's so much fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so that might be one day and the next day I'll be working on, you know, maybe a new champion. If I, if I'm on the schedule for working on the new champion and the next day I'll, you know, work up, you know, work up a new design document for a system we want to overhaul or a new talent that we want to change or something mm-hmm. like that. And yeah, the ability to do different, different and varied and interesting things, I think is going to be necessary. Not only like, even if I no longer become a game designer or whatever, mm-hmm. it's going to be necessary for me in life. I've learned that. Yeah, for sure. I feel like, like you mentioned in the bigger companies where they would only, only be like specialized in one thing. I feel like this is a, just from our conversations in the last couple of days, I feel like this is a good fit for you, uh, at least for the, t- for the time being anyways, mm-hmm. um, where you can do a bunch of, a bunch of different things. Um, changing gears slightly, you also stream, correct? I do. You want to sort of talk about how you got into that and, and what game, what games you stream and, uh, where we can find you. Sure. Yeah. So, um, Streaming is, uh, the way I've described it to people, is it, it is my first hobby, my first real hobby. Like, I love, you know, I used to read for pleasure. That's most of, <laughs> it's most of what I did through high school. Is actually, mm-hmm. I was that, I was that, that weird kid who just carried his book around. And no, you weren't instead of, weird. Instead of, talking to, <laughs> instead of talking to people, I would read, read instead. But, um, you know, I'd read, I would play soccer, I would play video games. But those were all pastimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and this streaming for me has become my first, like, I'm going to in- intentionally work towards improving incrementally this, like the idea of a hobby or content creation. So, mm-hmm. um, very excited. I, it's something that I've always kind of wondered about. I've always kind of wanted to do. And it was, uh, I think it was a year and a half ago, just about now that I, I, I started on Twitch. I bought, I got a little bit of extra money saved up and I bought a, a webcam and a microphone. I didn't have the boom at this point. Right. I had like a, like a, <laughs> like a, um, uh, a mic stand that I purchased and I, I just started streaming because it was something that I'm super interested in doing. And I have, I, I was wondrously, um, I'll use the term blessed, I suppose, uh, lucky uh, to have friends who we're there since day one. Um, mm-hmm. I have one friend, shout out, shout out to Justin. Thank you for your support. He, who, who always had me um, on a, on a tab, even if he wasn't like actively chatting, he always had me on a tab. And just that one viewer helped me tremendously because for a mm-hmm. long time, if you're starting out without a, without a base already, you will be streaming to nobody. 
and it feels so weird and so bad to just be to see that zero for hours yeah. and hours and hours um but uh but since then i i average now just about just over 10 viewers per stream um mm-hmm. i i love the fact that they spend their time with me i i don't do it for donations or anything like that mm-hmm. um and i play a variety of games i guess you i would be a variety streamer i, I play whatever mm-hmm. makes me happy and i hope the people can join me for me and for our, our interaction versus like a particular game not that for i'm sure. disparaging people who who have built their base on a specific game mm-hmm. um so yeah so i uh, i go by nico ergo sum on twitch n-e-c-o-e-r-g-o-s-u-m uh, I usually stream just on the weekends, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, in the evenings, seven mm-hmm. to whenever I feel like getting off. And and it's been so much fun because it allows me to interact with these people all over the world. I have a, I have a fan from Turkey who who mm-hmm. shows up often, and and we get to chat and um and uh, and it also allows me, like I said, to kind of incrementally progress. So I'm I'm looking at like this is a fantastic microphone, the Blue Yeti. But I'm looking at getting like a Shure SM7B, which is an XLR mic, four hundred dollars. Um, and it's not like my audio quality is bad enough that I need it, but it's the yeah. the idea that I get to invest in my hobby that's so fun for me. Um, but no, I appreciate you asking. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It sounds like well, we'll have to talk offline about that mic because I might <laughs> <laughs> like similarly to you. This is probably one of my first like big hobbies, and so that would probably be the first the uh, first investment. But um, what was it? Oh, uh, like you were talking about your friend, Justin, just having a tab open. I've, I have a, a couple of friends who are also starting out in the stream and I try to do the same, just have a tab open all, all the time. And I think for those listening who have friends that are trying to stream, it does more than you think it does just to have that tab open, even if you're not it, paying attention it makes at all. Such a huge difference. I, I highly encourage it. I, I am so thankful for, for the people who, who have done that for me. Yeah, it, it makes, yeah, I mean, you, you heard it from, from Kevin first, uh, like he's, he's had the experience of having that happen, but I can say from on the other side, just having friends text me and be like, Hey man, thanks for having the tab open. And like, you, I'll pop in every once in a while and say like, Hey, what's up? Or maybe talk trash, depending on yeah. how I'm feeling, depending on how I'm feeling that day. But, um, it's just like, it's that support from your kind of like your circle you like you want to see your your friends your friends do well and that's just and that's it's so simple like it literally takes no effort just to just open a tab i keep it open but um it's very well said um but enough enough of the soapbox um streaming is super cool i've i've thought in, like you're you're sort of how you got into it is sort of, sort of similar to the podcast and how we got into that but it's just a cool sort of way to interact with people, especially now when you can't go anywhere with COVID and stuff. It's, it's a, you get to enjoy what you're doing, right? For you is playing video games. I know other people on Twitch probably think I was looking around last weekend um, just at all the different things that people do. Like people like cook on there, like people do art on there, like people do all sorts of things on there. And it's just like people and you can just be you and people will find you and hang out with you just because you are you and that's a really cool and i think untapped sort of i don't want to say market but it's an un it's an untapped sort of or what's the word i'm looking for uh sort of venue for interaction with people i guess mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, it, it's kind of tough to, to see sometimes like, yeah, the numbers will go up and they'll go down and that means people mm-hmm. left, but it's yeah. also okay because 
you're just doing you and you can't change you. And if they want to stick around and chat, then that's awesome. If not, then that's okay. Because, because that's the beauty of the platform, right? Mm-hmm. It's, I think they've done a really good job allowing people who aren't like your big names to just be able to kind of do them without much. And I don't know, so you can correct me if I'm wrong, but there's no sort of like, it's similar to YouTube and the fact that you can just, as long as you're not doing anything like illegal, I don't think they'll, you, you don't have any restrictions on what you're doing, is there? Uh, no, there, there are a couple of gates, like a couple of levels. So, you know, just anyone can, anyone can stream if they have the software mm-hmm. um, and, and, a, and, a, uh, and an account. And then once you hit affiliate, you get the ability to, to receive money. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes you'll unlock uh, a couple extra features, like the ability for your viewers to change the video quality. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once you hit partner, it's, you know, even more stuff, a lot more support. But nothing prevents you if you have the software and the inclination to to create an account and start streaming. Mm-hmm. Do you recommend it for those who are looking for sort of a a hobby or? Um, I'll be honest. I if it's just I'm looking for a hobby, I don't think I would recommend it. Mm-hmm. I think it is a skill set, and I wouldn't. I'm definitely a very small streamer, um, mm-hmm. but I I think I have developed over time a better skill set as it when it comes to because you are an entertainer to some degree you do you know to, to be successful i think you need to interact at least a little bit with your audience so learning to you know every once in a while take a look at that bottom left corner of your screen and look at the chat maybe respond uh, is a skill mm-hmm. and interacting with people even if it is you know it doesn't matter they're online it's whatever it is still interacting with people so if that is not your cup of tea um, or you're not interested in in kind of um, tackling the challenges that come with streaming, then I wouldn't recommend it just as an offhand hobby. But if you are mm-hmm. interested in content creation and meeting other people and having fun and, and spending time with them online via your your community, then I think it is a, a good option. Do you remember um, Rooney? Um, he was a freshman yeah. when we were seniors. I, I he's, do. He's the friend. He's one of the friends that I keep his tab open. He streams FIFA. Nice. Um, and so he's kind of in the, in the similar boat as you, but. I think, was it a big learning curve for you to sort of, um, obviously you mentioned like you were the quiet kid who always had books. Was it, was it a big adjustment for you to sort of become that that entertainer? I am, I am still definitely an introvert. I'm definitely uh, a mostly shy, quiet person, but I think it was actually college that helped me come out of my shell a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, had some experiences meeting people. I, I joined a fraternity, um, not a particularly fratty fraternity. <laughs> it's kind of still a little, little nerdy, but, you know, I joined a fraternity and that really helped me open up um, just in general. Mm-hmm. And then that coupled with the experiences in college and then the professional experience I've had since then. And then my year and a half of streaming has kind of culminated in, I feel a lot more comfortable just in general if, um, and confident about myself than I used to. Um, which I think really helps a lot. So even if, even if you don't like me as, as a viewer, mm-hmm. that's okay because I am doing my thing and I'm confident about it. And if you don't like me, then move on to the next one kind of thing. Yeah, that's a really good outlook to have. I think probably on that note, we can wrap things up. What are, uh, what are, we, what are you looking forward to in the, in the future for, for yourself? Got any goals? Um, I think in the short term for, for work, I think 2021 is going to be a really awesome 
year for Paladins. Um, so my work, right? Mm -hmm. I, I've, I've put out the, most, the two most recent champions. Mm -hmm. I, I was lead designer on them. I'm lead designer on the next champion coming out. And then I'm lead designer on the champion, not after that, but the one after. So mm -hmm. over the course of a year and a half, I'll have put out four of the five champions, um, which is kind of cool. For sure. So I'm excited for that. Um, I'm also excited, I think, to, to just keep learning. I think uh, there are certain things about myself that I'd, I'd love to change or expand upon. Um, and, you know, stuff that, oh, I wish I had done this when I was 21 or 22. Um, but even as I creep, <laughs> creep into my later 20s, uh, <laughs> I'm still really excited to kind of learn on a personal level. So um, just kind of, I mean, it's kind of cliche, but just working on myself and working on, on my skill set professionally and working on the hobbies and the things that I enjoy, I'm really looking forward to even, um, even with this kind of the, the negative side that we have right now with, with COVID and everything. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Although hopefully we get out of that soon if the vaccines are, are good to go, but yeah, we'll nah, see. Knock on wood. But it's been, uh, it's been an hour and a half, Kevin. This time has flown by. <laughs> I, re I really appreciate your time. Um, and maybe we'll be looking forward to, to having you back on once you get those, those new uh, champions released. And, uh, and yeah, and we'll put uh, we'll put your Twitch link in the description. Um, sure, yeah, we can do Twitter, Twitch, all that yeah. good stuff. And everybody, go give him give him a follow. Click the links below, and we will see you all next time. Bye, everybody. Thank you, Thank you so much, Eric. Take care, guys.